You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Now, since 1952, Interstate Batteries has sold well over 100 million batteries. But at the same time, these guys don't just sell batteries. They have a great product. They have great car batteries, but they also recycle a ton of batteries. So to me, that says that they care about the environment. They care about the back end just as much as the front end. So it's a, a great company. And like I've said in almost every commercial, about interstate batteries if you want to talk with a specialist about any kind of battery feel free to stop into your local retail store and there's hundreds of thousands of them all over the united states even in alaska right so there is an interstate batteries probably pretty close to you in all 50 states and there's someone there that can help you out with all of your battery needs Uh, it's a wholesome company Right. And what I mean by that is it's Christian based. It has Christian values. So and you can go to their website and see that. Uh, And to me, whether you're Christian or not, the values is what's important. Right. I feel like when someone says things like that on their website, they're not going to rip you off. They're not looking out just for money. They're looking for your best interest. And uh, Interstate Batteries is, is one of those companies. And the longer that I work with interstate batteries, the more I get to know them and, and know that they're good people. And I say this all the time. I love working with good people. So if you want to find out more information, maybe some history, maybe some culture about interstate batteries, go visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate batteries, outrageously dependable. The Nine Finger Chronicles podcast is brought to you by Vortex Optics. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. Hopefully everyone is enjoying their quarantine as much as humanly possible. I am, (laughs) I don't even know what to say. Like I am at my wits end. If it rains one more day here, I mean, we've had a couple good days where I could get the kids out for a little bit, but this, uh, this whole rain we're getting and now the temperatures are dropping down again and the kids can't go outside, and I swear to God, like, they, they fight nonstop. And if they're not fighting, they're, like, poking at each other, which is just as bad. Like, uh, how do I, how do I, my, my son, he'll just walk up to my daughter, and he'll just be like, just stare at her. And he'll just stare at her, and then she'll say, stop looking at me. And then he'll maybe go, no, I'll do what I want. 
dad, dad, dad. And then they, then they fight. Right. And then there's, there's been a couple times where they want to, you know, they want to play the same toy or they want to play the same thing and anything that she does, he wants to do. And then they fight over it. And I, I've had to get in between them like a couple of uh, dogs before they were going at it pretty hard. And, <laughs> and, and then volcano dad, if I haven't told you about volcano dad, you know, volcano dad is, is this guy volcano dad is the guy who is pretty calm. He's pretty collective. He, he, he doesn't really, you know, he doesn't get mad. He explains. He's a great dad. He explains. But as the kids become knuckleheads throughout the day and that patience, I have a long fuse. I'm kind of proud of it. I have a really long fuse. But as that fuse gets shorter throughout the day and shorter throughout the day and my patience just starts wearing thin, it's like a volcano, right? It may sit dormant for a, you know a couple hundred years right maybe 200 maybe 500 maybe a thousand and then one day that son of a bitch explodes and lays waste to all humanity and <laughs> so i've had and i'm not proud of it but i've had a volcano moment where i just took off my hat i threw it and i started chewing ass i was like you gotta you know and i got so angry i I felt like I developed a speech impediment because I was yelling, but it was uncomprehendable, right? It was just like, <laughs> I was, I was saying all of their names wrong and I was just mumbling, but yelling. And they were just looking at me like, are we in trouble or are you having a stroke? So, <laughs> um, it's been a test here, but we're, uh, we're getting to know each other a lot better, I guess. And uh, thank God for vehicles and fresh air and public land, because if it wasn't for those things, uh, we would be stuck in this house a lot more than we already are. And uh, I appreciate a good bourbon and I appreciate being alone and I appreciate like, like sleep. And I don't know, I could just sit and talk about this forever, but we actually have a really good episode today. We're going to be talking with Andy May. Now, if you don't know who Andy May is, he is a Michigan native who slays. This dude is a killer. He has perfected his craft of bow hunting whitetails throughout the years, and he's really good at what he does. And today, man, we talk a little bit about everything. It's almost like a BS session, but we talk about going out of state to hunt. And there's a little bit of a misconception when we talk about out-of-state huntings, you know, when you talk about an out-of-state hunt, most people just assume that, hey, we're going we're gonna to go on public ground. Well, that's not always the case. If you can build relationships over the years, knock on some doors, you might, able, you know, you might be able to gain access to some really good private ground just by building relationships, knocking on a couple doors, right? And then the backup is always public. So we talk about that. Uh, he recently went to Iowa or he came to Iowa uh, it was like two weeks ago now and he did a lot of scouting. And so we talk about what we look for on scouting missions. We talk about terrain. We talk about the bed to food pattern, you know, all your typical uh, talk that uh, you've heard a lot on this podcast. And then the, uh, the last thing I wanted to pick his brain about was being too mobile. I felt like this year I had a couple target deer and I was playing the cat and mouse game with them and 
I feel like I didn't put enough time into specific areas. I felt like for me, I would hop into an area. I would see, you know, there's good sign, there's good movement, but the wrong deer came through instead of maybe sitting there three or four days, I split and just kept, you know, moved to a different part of the farm and just like one day here, then one day here, then one day there, instead of just isolating myself for a couple days and sitting in one spot. We talk about like a rotation, right? The, the, the rut rotation where a buck may be in a rotation searching for does. He finds a doe, he splits, and then he comes back, right? So we have, we have a really good conversation about bow hunting for whitetails, right? I mean, that's what this, this uh, podcast is about. That's what this episode is about. And Andy is really good at what he does. So there's not much of a better guest, right? So a really good episode. Uh, we got to do a commercial, right? And that commercial is Ozonics. Now, if you guys haven't heard me talk about Ozonics, which I'm sure you have, I am a absolute huge believer in Ozonics. And it's not just in, in, the, in the timber, right? The capabilities go much beyond that, you know, further than that. And I, I think just as important of having that thing running downwind to basically protect everything downwind to you and kind of break up your scent profile further downwind. It's, it's important out of the field as well. And what you can do is you just dry wash your clothes and you have to clean them less. You're using less sprays. You're washing your clothes less a number of times. So it's a time saving. It's, it's a money saving and it's just a product that I really, I feel, you know, other than the initial investment, which some people can look at and say, oh my God, this is expensive. After that, you, I feel like the savings is there. You're, you're doing other things less. And in the, in, you know, the short term, maybe even a little long term, you're saving money, man. And I, I don't know about you, but there are certain products that I feel really confident with in the timber and in an ozonics is one of them so uh make sure you guys go to ozonics website make sure you check out all their product line and if you do decide to purchase a, um, uh, a unit you can purchase the hr 300 the new orion the hr 230 and when you make that purchase enter the discount code nfc19 and you're going to get a free dry wash bag with your purchase uh this is something that uh <laughs> I don't know, man. I'm, I'm a huge fan of it. Yes, they pay me to say that, but at the same time, it's, uh, it's a company and a product that I really enjoy working with. So, and I've seen a shit ton of, uh, results out of it too, but it's one of those products where you got to check it out yourself, right? So there's the commercial. You know what this episode's about. Let's get into today's, I don't know, BS session strategy session with Andy May. Three, two, one. I'm on the phone with Andy May. Andy, what's up, man? Hey, not much, Dan. How are you, buddy? Oh, just trying to uh, survive the quarantine life, man. If uh, if I knew that this this quarantine, no school, not you know, working from home life was what I would have had, I would really reconsider uh, my choices in life because. <laughs> I got three animals in my house. I mean, that's what they are. They're, they are wild animals. And when they get to fighting and arguing, oh my Lord, it is, 
it's dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't, I don't have that. It's just me and my, my daughter. So it's, you know, pretty quiet, but, uh, yeah, it's been, uh, it's been strange. I mean, it's been really weird. I've, I'm trying to be positive about it and, and kind of look at it as a gift, I guess, a gift of time. Yeah. You know, how many times have we said, you know, I wish I, wish I had more time with the kids or I worked these long hours and, you know, yeah. and, and I guess right now I'm looking at it as like, I have that. So I'm trying to do, I'm trying to do a lot of, uh, like quality time with her, but it's hard because you can't go anywhere. So everything we're doing is sort of in the yard or, you know, we'll go on bike rides and little hikes and stuff, but the way they're cracking down on everything, it's just really limiting even some of that. Yeah. So yeah. trying to make the most of it. What's, uh, are they finding people in Michigan for like going on bike rides? Because I know in some States, like if the cop sees you outside, they're telling you to go home. Yeah. I, I, I haven't heard that yet, but there's, as far as I know, um, at least around me, I haven't heard of any um, like public lands or state parks or anything like that closing. Although they are closing like some of the main accesses where a lot of people park. Yeah. So like you, you got to park more in like sporadic spots, I guess. Yeah. But that's all that stuff is changing every day. They they just signed a new order yesterday that you know in Michigan it's really popular for people to have um, summer homes or vacation homes up north in northern Michigan where it's you know you get the great the Great Lakes and the beaches and lots of like inland lakes and stuff up there. So a lot of people um, I think were planning or already opening up their cottages and stuff like that my mom included um you know just as kind of escape a place to go um you know she's still quarantined in your cottage or whatever but uh she the governor just made it illegal to travel to those places just yesterday so now you know there's gonna be Hmm. a lot of people upset by that but i would hopefully I, i would think that if you own a house and you want to go to your house you should be able to go to your house that's nuts. Yeah, it, I know. I know. They're really, uh, I don't know. In, in, a, in some ways, it really feels like they're starting to cross the line a little bit. But, I mean, I understand. We are, I think we're number three in the country in cases and deaths, which kind of blows my mind. Like, we were uh, ahead of California, which is strange. But yeah. um not sure why. I think 75% of that is in Detroit. So, yeah. they're really struggling over there. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've heard that some states have closed down public, all public land. If like, let's say for yeah. if you're a turkey hunter, you're kind of screwed unless you have private to go on. Right. Yeah. So I think that yeah, was they, Illinois, they, maybe. There's a couple states doing that, and I know I know a lot of states have already closed. Um, you know, all non-resident hunting, like spring bear, spring turkey. Um, you know, a lot of people they want you to stay local. Uh, as far as uh, on our DNR website, it it still says they're encouraging us to go out and hunt and fish, which is good that it says that. So if you know if I do get pulled over during turkey season or something, I I have that saved to my phone. But yeah, um, they want they want you to stay local and they don't want you traveling like you know out of the town, out of the city or anything really. You yeah. know, out of your general area. So yeah, I don't know. We'll see how this all pans out. Yeah, you know, I can understand. Uh, them wanting to keep crowds down in grocery stores or movie theaters or bars and restaurants and stuff like that. I, I understand that. But for me, 
I have never in my almost 40 years of life have ever been on a piece of public land. And don't get me wrong, I'm not as versed in public land as uh, some guys are, but I've never been so, I've never had been stacked on top of people right? You're out just, you're outside, you're walking around, right? Even if there's other guys, maybe they're a hundred yards from you, right? But it's not like, it's not like you're stacked on top. So I don't understand this. Stay in your home. Don't even go outside to our public lands thing that to me, that doesn't make sense. Yeah, I know. I mean, I, a couple weeks ago, I went to, to Iowa scouting. It was before like everything started really cracking down. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, some people thought I was, you know, were a little concerned that I was going, but, you know, I stayed in the tent. Um, I didn't talk to anybody except maybe three stops total the whole trip at gas stations. You know what I mean? Just yeah. go in and fill up, grab some water. Um, and I didn't run into anybody else, you know, on the public land. I think I did see one lady walking her dog one day, you know, at a distance. But, uh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, felt, I felt safer safer out there than you know i did in my hometown so yeah um i don't know yeah i I think it's important to still be able to exercise you know your health get out and and be active and you know if you can get out into the the woods into you know public lands and stuff and enjoy that as long as you keep your distance i don't know i don't see how they can take that away from you but they are yeah yeah it doesn't make sense to me yeah well i tell you uh Let's see. So you you bought a turkey tag in Ohio, which is just like ten minutes from your house, and five hours after that, you said they shut down all non-resident Ohio turkey hunting. They did, yeah. Um, they, I bought it at like I don't know, it was like seven o'clock, and then at midnight that night, and I didn't know they were closing it. Um, I just was like, you know, I saw it happening in like Idaho and some, you know, Oregon and stuff like that. I was like, you know what, I'm going to buy this now because I did see that states were honoring the non-residents that had already purchased. Yeah. Um, so I just went ahead and, and did it. Um, and I was, I was wanting to go when I found out this was all going to happen and before I knew the, I guess the magnitude of everything I wanted, I was planning on going to Nebraska, um, on a turkey hunt. I wanted to try to get a Miriam. Um, I wanted to do Michigan, Ohio, even talking to my buddy in Maryland about coming out there. Cause I was going to have the time off. Yeah. And then when everything started cracking down, you know, Nebraska was one of the first States to shut down Turkey hunting non-residents. So, um, yeah, I decided to just pick up that, that Ohio tag. Cause it's pretty much, I mean, it's my home turf. I can get to a spot. I can hunt turkeys in 10, 15 minutes. And, um, yeah, shortly after that, they, they shut that down. So I, I, as far as I know, from what I could read and understand, they, they do honor that. And as long as you're hunting local, I think there's not going to be any issues. Like if I was traveling down to like Southern Ohio or something, I might get questioned, but you know, I'll be up here closer to Michigan. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, so yep. you were in Iowa uh, me and you exchanged some text. I threw a, a couple ideas your way. Uh, you're, you're going to draw Iowa this year, right? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Um, I was, I'm sitting on, sitting on four. I thought I was going to draw last year. It was the first time I haven't been drawn with three and, um, I was all ready to go. I've scouted 
at least once out there since I drew uh, my last tag, which was, you know, four years ago. So I go out there routinely and I know, I know my area really well, um, the, the public pieces. And um, I always, every time I go out there, I try to familiarize myself, just get a little more intimate with those pieces. But I also try to add a couple and I was able to do that this trip. So it was, it was good. I'm feeling pretty good about um, being able to go out there as long as, you know, all this virus stuff is under control. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully it doesn't trickle into fall. And I mean, cause shit, I've already bought my tag for South Dakota. Uh, I'm having a, uh, in my, uh, I haven't purchased a tag yet for coming to hunt Michigan, uh, for, you know, cause I'm going to be coming to Michigan to hunt, uh, whitetails. You're going to be coming to Iowa to hunt whitetails. So hopefully it doesn't, yep. uh, uh, mess up any plans for the fall, but let me ask you this. So how many times have you hunted Iowa before? Um, probably like, uh, I'd have to look, I think five, five, five times. times. Okay. I think so. Yeah. And all in the same zone. No, I started out in, uh, I started out in Eastern Iowa, like as far East central as you could get. Okay. Um, I was like right around Jackson County, like Dubuque, you know, right, right around, you know, that part of Iowa. Yep. And I hunted there a couple times and, um, that was, I mean, when I first started going to Iowa, I was like, I went down there and I knocked on five doors and I got four permissions, you know, <laughs> those were the glory days, amazing. man. Yeah. Those were the glory those days. Those were the glory days. Man, I had so much, I had more ground there than I had in Michigan, uh, times 20, you know what I mean? It was yeah. crazy. Um, but yeah, all that ended up going away and, uh, knew some people down in Southeast Iowa and they were telling me that, you know, that area was pretty good. So I just, I just wanted something new. Um, yeah. I like trying to new, new spot. So I started gravitating down to that part and, uh, yeah, I've been down there ever since. Yeah. So it's been hard, getting harder and harder to get a tag there. Yeah. Yeah, I've I've had uh I mean there was one year there must have been some point creep. Uh, let's see, you tried to draw you actually are going to be drawing the unit that I do most of my hunting in and uh that unit typically takes 3 or 4. I think one year it took uh my buddy even with 4 points didn't draw. So, it's starting really? yeah, it's starting oh, man. To, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think that's gone now. But I think uh-huh. it, we're over that little that little flare up of point creep, but I I, I think that uh, um, it took him five, but you know he was pretty excited to come and and try something different as well. And let me ask you this: when when you and this is more of a general question, not necessarily themed to Iowa, but because you just got off of a, a pretty much a scouting trip to a, to a, a you know a state that you you have to have preference points or an out of state hunt, let's say. What is what is your scouting strategy look like when you're going to uh, hunt out of state? Uh, kind of depends on um, it, it, it. I guess it would depend on what time frame I think I'm going to be going there. Like Iowa, uh, I almost always go. Every time I've been out there, it's been kind of a rut hunt. I mean, that's that's the popular time to go. I don't really have intimate knowledge of individual deer that I would feel confident getting on 
early season, you know, without living out there and being able to glass and get boots on the ground and run some cameras or something. So I, I go, you know, usually sometime in those first two weeks of November. But, um, so when I go out to Iowa, um, I'm, I'm basically looking for, um, I'm looking for pieces of public ground that pretty much the standard, you know, away from big towns typically. Um, you know, if I can get, if I can get 30 to 30 minutes to an hour away from a big town in Iowa, um, I've ran into a lot less people. Yeah. Um, so that's, it's kind of a starting point. Um, but I have, I have a lot of uh, friends that live out there, you know, like you and a couple other guys that, that hunt a little bit of public. Um, but they know people that hunt public and I've, I've certainly been given some tips on, uh, some places to look or some places that get overlooked or, you know, there was a, a real big deer out on, on this piece that didn't get, um, uh, that didn't get killed and that, that sort of thing. So I'll, I'll often follow up on some of those tips and check them out. Yeah. But, um, as far as like a, a certain piece, uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking at the normal access points, um, you know, anything that's within on, on, on in general, anything that's within like a 20 minute walk of the access point, I kind of just forget about it. Um, if I can find a, an overlooked spot, um, sometimes like spots right, right along the road that aren't necessarily next to an access point, you know, I've, I've had some, some good hunts and I found some good spots like that. Um, but for the most part, you know, I, I try to get back in deep. I try to cross. If, if there's some sort of boundary to cross, um, that's always a good thing, like a creek or a river, or if it's in more type, you know, like in Iowa, you get a lot of that like bluffy type country. What I, what I found if I can get over that, you know, if I can go up, down and up over that next hill, like it really thins the people out. Yeah. Um, so, you know, basically what I'm, when I'm out there, I'm, I'm looking for, not so much looking for like buck beds, which I, which I would look for like around here, you know, because I'm hunting more like early in, you know, mid October, I'm looking more for, you know, signs of doe bedding for sure. But I'm looking at those terrain funnels and those pinch points, because when I go out there, I'm banking on, um, the bucks being on the move, you know? So yeah. I'm, I'm looking for those terrain features that are gonna, that are gonna pinch movement down, uh, to bow range and, where a lot of things come together um, that, that may uh, it, it may include some buck sign, um, but it doesn't necessarily have to. I'd like to see I'd like to see good big buck sign on the property I'm hunting, but it doesn't necessarily need to be exactly where I'm looking to set up for this type of hunt. I just need it to be in the area, and then I want to look at um, I'm trying to look at all the connecting pieces of like the doe bedding, you know. Uh, with this food source or this ridge system and this ridge system and, and what, what connects them and, and where I can get in, uh, you know, relatively easily without alerting all the deer around and where it kind of pinches movement down. So I'm looking mostly on terrain type funnels or cover type funnels. And then I relate that back to where I think a lot of the pressure will be coming from. Um, you know, other hunters where the access points are, 
you know, is there signs from people coming off the private? Because I, I did run into that this past scouting trip. There was some, I found some just about a mile in. It was ju- just about a mile on Onyx, and um, you walk all that way, and you start getting away from like all the, you know, the trash and you know all the stuff you see that other hunters leave, and you start standing out, and then you get back there, and then there's like a beat down trail right coming right off a of private right to that same spot. So I did run into that a little bit. Um, but for the most part for this type of hunt, a rut hunt, that's what I'm looking for. Um, and you know, often those spots pan out. Um, you know, you, you hit Iowa, right. You know, you, you can see a lot of bucks and yeah. a lot of good ones, you know, in my opinion. Now you living there, you know, you have maybe a couple, a couple bucks you really have your eye on and you're, you know, you're starting to really get to know these deer and the places that they call home and they're, you know, where they like to travel. Um, so you're kind of zeroing in on a certain deer where when I go there, I'm just kind of looking for a mature animal, you know, and that could be, you know, that could be a big, heavy, old seven point with Coke can bases. And, you know, I'd be happy with that. Or it could be, you know, a beautiful 150 inch typical, something like that. But, you know, I, I'm, I'm focusing more on uh, those terrain features and funnels yeah. that are going to just give me the highest percentage chance of success. You know, where a lot of things, a lot of things come together. Um, a lot of things working together as far as like access and the wind and, and all that kind of stuff. So that's, yeah. that's what I'm trying to pinpoint those really high percentage spots. Yeah. And, do those principles transfer to every state that you go and scout and every state that you go and hunt? Um, for the most part, like I don't always go out of state during the rut though. And you know, when I'm like, when I go to Kentucky, um, or when I hunt Ohio, you know, early season, you know, I'm not really doing that. Um, like Kentucky, I don't even, a lot of times I won't even go down there and pre-scout because I'm going down there like September one, you know, two, three days before the season. And I'm setting up more like long range glassing type opportunities. Like, um, there was, there's been a couple of times where I've went more like hill country type habitat where, it, where it is just big hill country and there's no ag fields. And that was a little different. I set up on water. Um, and it was, it was early season and there had been a big drought and I had some success there doing that. But, the last few times I've been down there has been more like farm country where I can glass these bean fields and, you know, the whole, the whole, the whole point with that is I'm just trying to find a good deer um, coming out into the food source in velvet, you know, before the pressure hits. And it's, it's not as simple as just finding a, a bean field and glassing it. But what I find is, you know, there's certain, bean fields or there's certain areas of these 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 food sources where the the big bucks like to enter and it's often a way away from roads it's often tucked around a corner when that field makes a little turn there's a little low spot way in the back that you can't see from you know the hill over here um you know those are the spots where i've routinely found the bigger deer kind of pop out so you know the guys that are glassing from the roads, you know they, they might be missing uh you know, missing a big piece of the puzzle there. Like last year, you know, that, that deer that I ended up shooting, you know, there's no way from any road. You, I actually had to walk 
I had to walk uh, probably two thirds of a mile to get back to where I glassed him, and then and then you know and then I was able to move in and capitalize. So, but it's a whole different type of scouting for that. You know, yeah. I, it's, those those deer aren't moving far, so I got to get in tight to where they're bedding, um, and not as tight as like. Um, in a higher pressured state, like, you know, in Michigan or some other higher pressure states, I feel like you got to get really, really in tight to the bedding, favoring more the, the actual bedding area than the food source. But when you hit some, a, a state that gets a little less pressure, um, like Kentucky, and I'm not saying it, Kentucky's really light, but um, at least early season, it's, it's pretty light uh, from what I can tell. And then, and then, the fact that it's September one and these deer are still in bachelor groups, they're very relaxed, very calm. So if you can find one, those first few days of the season, it's like, man, you got a really good chance at getting a crack at one. So that's, that's my whole scouting strategy. When I, when I go to do that type of hunt, which is much different than the one that I did in Iowa, where I tried to, you know, I'm picking out all these, these spots that look good on the map. And I'm kind of dropping a pin and then I'm going and hiking to each of those spots. And then I'm, I'm either keeping them, um, you know, as they, they look good and they have everything that I'd like to see, or I'm dismissing them because there's other hunters in the area or it doesn't look as good once I get there. So, you know, two different strategies there. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Um, when you were in Iowa or when you go to another uh, state to scout, are you ever knocking on a piece of private ground to gain permission just to walk through their property. Let's say like an, here in Iowa, I, I do this. I will get permission not to hunt the property, but just to walk through their, maybe, maybe it's just a, an 80 acre cornfield or bean field, but I just use that as an access route to backdoor public. Do you ever do yes. anything like that? Yes, absolutely. In fact, um, I got this, uh, this past trip, I got, just the most money permission to uh, the most money access of all the places I found on public. There's this one part and it's in the farthest back corner of this, this piece of public that you can get to. And it was just, it was my favorite spot. And when I, when I mark on, on X, I put, you know, I don't just drop a pin. I color code it. Like um, I go, <laughs> I go back to like, uh, you know, like elementary school and you had the field day or whatever, like blue was first place and green was second and red was third. So if it's, if it's a really high quality spot, in my opinion, I'd mark it in blue and then I'll give it like a score, like eight, nine, 10. If it's a 10 or a nine, it's like a spot I have so much confidence in. And, and those are the spots I'm going to prioritize. And I found a spot like that on this, this piece of public, but it was like, Holy smokes, I needed to walk through so much hill country and so many briars and just, it was a, a big pain and I was going to be going through a lot of quality stuff and a lot of other hunters to get back to where that was. So I, you know, I looked up the, the landowner that owned the piece next and it was this, uh, this nice lady. And I, I knocked on the door. I felt, I felt like a jerk cause it, you know, it's Corona time out there, but I, you know, I stood like way out in her yard and I apologized for bothering her, but she was super nice. And she had some hunters out there, but they were just gun hunters. And, um, I told her, you know, when I'd be out and uh, asked if she just minded if I just walked through, you know, her property. And I told her I'd probably be out there two or three days, you know, max, you know, the whole season. And she said, sure, go right ahead. So there's a, I, I think there's three public pieces in Iowa that I actually have private land 
uh, permission to access through. That's awesome. So yeah, yeah so I'm that, telling, that's yeah. definitely a definitely a good strategy for for the people out there who are listening who are afraid to knock on doors uh, because they just feel awkward. Or I'm telling you right now, get over that because especially if it's just a cornfield or an egg field or a cattle pasture that has no deer and it's simply just an access route, dude, I'm telling you, I have, I have the same thing on a piece of public here near my, to where I actually live, not my main farm, but it's a piece of private that I use to backdoor a long, narrow piece of public that if you walked through that public all the way to the back, you'd be blowing deer out. But if you access it through the private, like I do, like I've gained permission to do, man, it is a money spot and it's shredded every year. Um, I just haven't really focused on it because I have other deer I want to kind of connect with down on my main farm. But this year I'm going to be hunting a little bit closer to home, uh, in the early season. And, uh, man, it's a, like you said, it's a money spot where it's good because I have good access to it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I still, um, I still knock on door for permission to hunt. I mean, Mm -hmm. I do that almost every out of state trip and it, it has certainly gotten a lot harder. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not one of those guys that's like a, a a public land snob, you know, I I try to utilize, yeah, I try to utilize all resources. I really do. Um, you know, and, and it seems like more and more so now I find myself on public because it is getting harder. Yeah. But, um, you know, a lot of people, uh, especially when they hear that I'm only going to be out there a couple days and, um, you know, it's just me and, you know, they, once they know that I'm not going to be out there the whole season and I'm not going to be bothering them the whole season and, um, I'm not trying to like take over their, their property or anything like that. It's just a couple days. I, you know, I still, I still have luck, you know, yeah. every, every year it seems like I, I still can gain a couple pieces and then I lose some and, um, but that's just, that's just the game. And I, I enjoy that. Um, but with that being said, you know, I've seen out there, I've seen, you know, just as big a deer on, on the public land that I've seen on any of the private I've had access to for the most part, I've seen a couple of real giants on, on the private, like back in the glory days, but, um, you know, it, it can all be good. You know, you just got to, you know, think outside the box and, and outwork the the average guy. Yeah. So let me, you've, you've answered this question in a way already, but you know, when, when you, when you go to different States or when people go to different States, they just assume almost that it's going to be on public ground. How, yeah. how much of out of state hunting is also about building relationships with private landowners? Well, I have, uh, so let's talk for Iowa, uh, for example, there's a a piece that I have permission to hunt, um, that's private ground and it is a, it's an awesome farm. Um, and I have, I got that permission the very first time I went back to, um, Southeast Iowa or the first time I went there, it was one of the first doors I knocked on. And, um, it was this nice older couple and, um, they were great and they invited us in and I sat in their house and I talked to them. I I, I sat there for two hours and we just, you know, uh, just talk. And, um, 
I think that they really appreciated the, uh, the personal touch there. And, um, I send them a Christmas card every year. And when I'm there, um, every time I go to Iowa, I usually pick them up like a, a Walmart gift card, you know, for a hundred bucks or something. Or yeah. I noticed that, um, the, the lady likes a, a certain soda, soda pop. So I, I always pick her up like a big 30 pack, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's like little things like that. And, and they told me, um, they told me this last year when I came down to scout, but they said, as long as we own this place, you are welcome to hunt here. Yeah. And I have places like that. Um, I have places like that all over where, where people have said that to me now, granted that place in Iowa, um, they also let other people hunt. Yeah. <laughs> and from what I could tell this year, uh, there's a, a local guy and his wife and his kid and his friend that that it is kind of, rough shape out there they're illegal baiting um oh boy he put in this little kind of half-assed food plot he had he had a tree stand hung within 15 yards of like every spot i had hunted and it just he was trashing the place i found i found i don't know 15 um empty bags of corn that he just chucked down into their creek bottom and a bunch of that uh like molasses minerals Jesus, stuff man. buckets like i carried it all out of there and and took it up but uh so i i'm kind of like pulling the plug on that place at least for now um maybe that guy will move or something someday i, I don't want to completely get rid of it because it is a, a great place but i'm not going to waste my time there yeah um but but yeah you, you know you can form these relationships with people and you know that 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 personal touch just that uh that going the extra mile with with a lot of these um, landowners, especially the older folks, they really appreciate that. And um, heck, I have man. There's a couple people that they literally call me family, and it all started with me just knocking on their door. Um, yeah. There's a guy. There's a guy out in. Uh, there's a guy out in Nebraska that I met, and um, you know, it started with just a. It started with a a, a Facebook message about, you know zeroing in on this piece of public and then you know we talked and talked and some trust was gained and then he's like you know i well you know my family owns a little bit you're welcome to check it out and you know it's uh just another spot and and we've we've become great friends and i sent him a a very thoughtful christmas gift and we text each other and call each other like you know every other week or so and he, he, he said that to me, he goes, man, you're like family. He's like, you can, you come out here whenever you want. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, it, it, you can definitely um, build those long lasting relationships and um, just by, just by being a little thoughtful, you know, yeah. a lot of people are just aren't doing that these days. Yeah. That's a fact. That is a fact. I, and I'll be honest with you. I, uh, what was it? Tuesday of this week, I was out, uh, the guy, his dad li- still lives on the farm, the, the the piece of property here in Iowa that I hunt, and it's like 119 acres, and it's part of, uh, and then the property next to it is the, the property that I use to access the, the private, but this 119 acre, or the, the public, this 119 acres that I have uh, access to hunt, the other day, I helped him clean out his gutters, because he's He's got some form of like leukemia cancer that he's on this, this pill or, uh, 
uh, lymphoma, excuse me. So he's on this pill. He's weak and, and all this, all this stuff. So he's having trouble getting on his roof. So I hopped up on his roof, cleared out his gutters and, um, was able to do that. But it's, it's just little things like that, that help. And I mean, it took me five minutes to do this. And because I did that, I am now able to hunt this farm probably for the rest of my, as long as they own it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, uh, it's just this a good relationship with people. And, and whenever I hear someone say, well, I feel awkward knocking on a door <laughs> that blows my mind because that's how I got permission to hunt back in the day, because I didn't have any land to hunt. And in the County that I live in, there's hardly any public at all. So if I wanted mm-hmm. to go hunt, I had to knock on doors. Right. So, yeah, yeah. I, I, I understand like for people that haven't done it, I think when I first started doing it, um, especially out of state, a little awkward, but I just, you know, it's whatever. It's yeah. uncomfortable at first. You just, you just do it. And yeah. I'm okay with being told no. Um, for the most part, 99% of the time, it's a, a very friendly encounter. I've had people that have said no, but then invited me in for 30 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> you know? so it's, like, yeah. it's so funny. Um, and ve- only a few times, um, a few times did I get like a really uh, um, threatening type reaction. And, and to be honest with you, one of them, one of them was in Iowa, which was really funny last year. Um, I was out, I was, I was going to a whole new area and I had all these uh, landowners mapped out as really sweet looking. It was kind of like a river bottom that just kind of snaked through this part of the, the country, but all around it was just wide open farm ground. So I, I knew you know, if there was hunting going on, it was going to be in that river bottom. It was the only good cover, but I thought, man, if I could get somewhere on this, this might be good. So I was going around and, um, knocking on doors and and nobody was home for whatever reason that day. I didn't, I I think one person was, they told me no. And I just kept stopping in all these houses, basically every landowner. Well, I was coming around this dirt road and there's a car in front of me, uh, sitting perpendicular in the road, like blocking me. And I, I come to a stop and I'm like, what in the world? And then I look in my rear view mirror and there's this truck coming up behind me and they pull like diagonal and they box me in. Are you kidding me? And I'm like, no, no. And these two guys step out of the car in front of me and, um, they start walking towards me and I'm like, what in the hell? So I, I get out. I'm like, I'm not going to be caught like sitting down in my car. So I get yeah. out and, uh, they're like, what are you doing? And I was like, Oh, you know, I'm just driving around, uh, knocking on some doors, trying to get uh, permission to do a little bow hunting. And they're like, well, there ain't nobody around here that's going to let you hunt. (laughs) And I I was like, all right. I was like, well, not against a lot of ass. Yeah. And they're like, no, we hunt all this ground around here. And I was like, okay. I was like, well, you know, no big deal. And, uh, you know, they were trying to act kind of hard. They're strong arm you. Yeah, they were trying to strong arm me. Yeah. But, you know. I don't know. I, I wasn't intimidated by it, but it was like a little strange. Like that's kind of going a little far. <laughs> yeah. But, I uh, wonder, I wonder if those guys, when you stepped out of the car, cause you're, you're no joke. You're in good shape. You're a big dude. And, and, uh, I wonder if they're just like, they see you get out of the car and they go, Oh shit. Like, <laughs> I hope he doesn't have a bad <laughs> attitude and want to fight because we're going to get our ass kicked. <laughs> right. Yeah, they 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 were kind of walking up to the car, looking, you know, try to 
and kind of big and bad, like, yeah. you know, flexing her arms out a little bit. But, uh, yeah, it, it, it got – it got pretty calm quick when I stepped out and I, you know, I wasn't looking to fight, but I'm not going to take anyone's kid either. Yeah. Right. Right. So. <laughs> That's funny, dude. I tell you what, man, yeah. uh, I got permission to hunt on a piece of property, uh, when I was ugh, 20, 21 years old or something like that. And, uh, uh-huh. and dude, uh, I went back to my truck and a, a truck had parked like almost touching bumper to bumper right up against the back of my truck. And, uh-huh. Uh, a guy got out of his truck. He was huge. This guy was gigantic. And then another guy came out from behind the woods or in, from the woods, came up behind me and they kind of just were there and they're like, Hey, uh, what are you doing here? I go, I got permission to hunt this property. And the guy's like, well, um, yeah, there's already hunters here, so you can find another place. And I'm like, well, who are you? Because the landowner told me that I should be the only guy hunting down here. And the guy's like, well, I've been hunting here for 19 years. You know, like I've been hunting here for all these years, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, oh, really? Uh, Because my literally my best friend's dad is in charge of this property and he didn't tell me about you. So I tell you what, I'll go talk to him and tell him that you're down here and maybe you guys can have a conversation. He's like, no, you don't need to do that. You can just move. You can just get out of here because we hunt here. And (laughs) so uh, and I'm just like, yeah, okay, buddy. So they, I mean, they were, they were close. They were like in my face and I felt uncomfortable because it was dark. And the one guy, yeah. the only time I could see his face is when he would take a puff off of his cigarette. And so what do I do? You know, I'm not going to be intimidated by anybody. Uh, I drew, I call up my buddy's dad and my, my buddy's dad's like, just put a note on their tree stand that if they want to continue to have permission, I'll give them permission. But so I walk up to one of these guys' tree stands. There's bait all over in front of it. I put oh, okay. I put this note on on the tree stand or on his tree stand saying, "If you want permission, you need to call this number." So he calls the number, and my buddy's dad was like, um, "Yeah, we didn't know that there was anybody out here. No, yeah, we got we got uh, permission from Lewis. Uh, Lewis was a 91 year old man, right? He's he had since been put in a nursing home because he's old." And they're like, yeah, I mean, yes. And he didn't, the guy didn't even ask permission. He pretty much said, yeah, I've been hunting here for 19 years. And the guy's like, well, are you even, no one knew that you were out here. You must've asked just one time 19 years ago. And you feel that that's giving you permission. So anyway, he started yeah. running his mouth. He could, he should have just said, Hey, I'm sorry about that. Can I have permission? And he would have said yes. But instead he ran his mouth and my buddy's dad was like, get the hell off the property now. Take your tree stands down because if they're not down in a day, I'm coming down there and I'm going to I'm gonna sell them for scrap. <laughs> he got fired up and then that guy. Then I had the this primo ground all to myself, man. It was kind of cool, but I didn't want yeah. that guy. I didn't want to kick that guy off, but don't strong arm me. So it's right. it, what's yeah. shitty is that it has to come to that. You know what I mean? Yeah, I there's some people that are like that. It's, it's weird. I never have had that mentality. I mean, I've had, I've had spots where I had, uh, you know, permission on like a, there's a spot that comes to mind in Michigan that a long time ago I had sole permission. It was 13 acres. Yeah. It wasn't anything special, but it, it was one of the only spots I had where I could go and I knew nobody was supposed to be there. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it was kind of nice. Had a lot of does and during the rut, get a good one cruising by sometimes. And then, um, they, uh, the, the landowner, someone stopped and asked the landowner if they could hunt and they told him yes. And, um, you know, it never even crossed my mind to like 
tried to strong arm yeah. the dude out of there. Yeah. You know what I mean? I was just like, ah, shoot. So I kind of like, I talked to the dude. I tried to gauge, you know, is this guy going to be out here a lot? Is he serious hunter? Is he like, you know, weekend warrior? Is he only going to be out like opening day of gun? You know, and it, it sounded like he was going to be out quite a bit, which really isn't my type of style of hunting. So, you know, I kind of just backed off and, um, you know, kept it friendly or whatever. I can, I can get on deer in other spots or whatever, but he, uh, he ended up, I had a camera out there, a camera and a tree stand and my camera came up missing. And then my tree stand had, uh, one of the cables cut. Are you kidding me? Yeah. So I, Which when is I a found felony. out, when I, yeah, when I found this out, I contacted the landowner and I said, Hey, you know, I just want you to know, um, you know, I've had permission to hunt out here for several years. I've never had anything stolen, never had anything. And this, that my, I have a camera stolen. I have a tree stand that's been tampered with. I would have stepped up on that. You know, it probably would have broken. I would have fell. Yeah. And I said, I don't, I'm not, I'm not saying that this guy did it, but I want you to know this is going on on your on your property now and it, it never was before yeah and they called the guy and uh they just asked him to stop coming so yeah that was uh that was that so you know i mean just i figure if you treat people right and you treat the landowners right like if something does go down you know more times than not they're gonna let you keep coming um yeah but yeah i, I don't know it's just is what it is man if you don't own the ground you're gonna run into that issue you can't you can't stake your claim in a certain spot for the rest of your life. Yeah. And I, and, and that's the so. thing, man. I, I think it's just all about respect. Like just treat yeah. others with respect. I mean, you're going to run into assholes. I mean, I run yeah. into assholes just driving to the gas station every day. Right. I mean, they're, they're yeah. out there. They're, you're going to do it. But if you can just know how to deal with them, I think, I think uh, everybody can get what they want. You know what I mean? So, right. Yeah. Yeah. Let me, uh, let me switch topics here for a second because I had something come up at the, in December, right? I think it was like, Ooh, maybe a month, maybe even two months after I shot my buck this year, I ended up going back, taking my trail cameras down and just going through all the trail camera pictures that I had. And, and cause I have certain trail cameras that I don't check during the season. I just let them soak and I use that information for the next season. And mm-hmm. I'm running into my three target deer on the farm. And it's almost like they were at other places and other times. And whenever I would go into an area, I wouldn't see them. You know, we're mobile hunters. So we say, okay, well, they're not here. So, um, so we're going to move. But then I started questioning myself. I said, am I being too mobile? Am I only going in? Like, do I need to give an area a little bit more time to produce one of these deer because I know they're on the farm somewhere. I've seen them from the tree stand or I got other trail camera pictures from them. I'm in a good terrain feature. I'm in a great spot. I have the wind to my advantage. You know, the access is tight, but I'm not seeing them. So I move, but then I go back and check a trail camera and they're there when I'm not or whatever. Yeah. Do, Do you think that, or have you ever experienced maybe the opposite effect of being maybe too mobile where you're, where you're moving around too much. Yeah. Well, I, I've ran into that same thing that you did. And what I, the way I look at it is, um, 
if if you're if you are hunting like uh, a certain deer, um, or 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 even not even necessarily a certain deer, but a certain area, and you know that you're in a good spot, like 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 the way we talk about those pinch points in Iowa, um, you know, or, or anywhere really, anything that's you know a a good spot where a lot of things come together, and you know, like this is a major travel corridor. If you give it enough time you know, that buck you're after or a good buck is going to come through, you know, there's definitely circumstances like that where I think it pays off to more, just kind of plant your butt there and, uh, and put in some time. So like there's sometimes there's a, I sound like a broken record when I, when I say this, but I find that like certain deer, um, gravitate towards certain areas, like, uh, like over a, over a broad, like hunting area, let's say there's certain areas that they gravitate towards to during certain times of the year and like i i've witnessed that through sightings and trail cam pictures and going through all that historical data like man this buck ruts he's always around like this bedding area or, or rutting in this area during you know early november um and then he might show up a completely different area during late season you know over here or i might have a different deer that's like for whatever reason, he's always here at the beginning of the season, the first you know week or two, and then he then he disappears to wherever he goes to rut, you know. Right. So that's when I hunt. I hunt those deer where they are during that time of the season, and not really when they're not there. And and you find that out through years of historical data over time. Yep. But when you, when you when you zero in on an area like that, it could definitely pay off to um, just kind of camp out in one spot. Um, during that time period, like, let's say you were, you know, like you said, you were bouncing around too much. And then that buck you were after a couple of them ended up coming through where if you mentioned, if, if access is good, if you're able to get in and out with minimal disturbance and your wind is right, you can get away with multiple sits. And there's, yeah. there's those, those spots aren't everywhere, but if you have those key pieces and you're in that prime time frame and you're after that certain buck or you're in that area that you know has two or three big shooters and you're willing to shoot any of them, it might be a higher percentage uh, strategy to sit all day every day for four or five straight days in that spot because you know one of them is going to come through during that time. If your, stra- if your access is good, if the wind is good. Yeah. You know, and so- sometimes like winds can change and then it makes that spot not as good, but you can often – you know, uh, move a little bit and use that wind in a different way where you're still kind of hunting that same type of travel route. There's, there's, um, I've done that several times with deer and getting a crack at them, just waiting that, like, you know, hunting that two, three, four days in a row. Um, cause what I find is like early season. Yes. I've seen deer do the same thing, the same general thing, like, you know, multiple times you know coming out into that corner of the bean field he's there an hour before dark and he's there the next day a half an hour before dark then he's there the next day 45 minutes before dark he's doing the same thing but once you get out of that kind of early season when they're in that those bachelor groups i do see deer doing similar things but on very very short patterns or kind of like a like a routine um so for instance like i've had like this primary straight area that i'm thinking about um, you know, I'll have like a, a the deer I'm after hit this, this spot maybe like two times in a row 
but then I've, I've hunted it like two or three days in a row and then nothing. And then he just, just to have him cycle back through like, you know, three or four days, five days, a week later. Yeah. And it's like they run this route, you know, this, 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 uh, this kind of routine that they do to, you know, through their area to, to monitor as they're getting ready to rut or they're kind of checking their area out. I've had that happen. So, um, I don't know. There's, there's those times where I think you would be better off just putting in time in that one really fantastic kill tree. Yeah. And then there's other times where, you know, you know, you're getting in there, you're crossing some deer trails, you're getting busted, you know, your access isn't great, but you know, it's a great spot. Then every time you sit in that spot, your chances of seeing that, that good buck go down. Um, you know, there's cases like that too, where I think it does, it does, benefit you more to, to bounce around and, and keep that element of surprise in your favor. And you're kind of playing more of a cat and mouse game as, as a, rather than like a sit and ambush type game. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just to elaborate on, on what you said, I, uh, I recently on the Sportsman's Nation YouTube channel, I recently did uh, a whiteboard whitetails where I, I draw like some uh, topple lines on a whiteboard. And then I talk about you know, my tree stand locations and I talk about how I access them and stuff like that. But I think, yep. I think you you nailed it when you said, you know, let's just, for example, let's say a uh, Southwest wind. If you got three days of a Southwest wind and you have, uh, you have maybe some data that says that that buck is in there, well, the wind shifts to a northwest now. Uh, front's coming through, or it has already gone through, or whatever the case may be. The wind switch switches, and you know the deer's still in there, but you can't hunt that particular stand anymore because the wind's wrong. So, if you hunt that same area, backdoor it from a different access route and get into a different tree, but you're still hunting the same area. Hell, it could just be just across the trail on the other side of the trail. I think a lot of people feel that they don't might they don't make micro decisions you know what i mean like they don't Mm -hmm. they're not they're they're thinking big when they need to be thinking a little bit smaller they need like they know that that's a good area but you know when i when i hear somebody say well the wind's wrong for that area i i it just does not compute with me because i feel Mm -hmm. that you should be able to get in there on multiple wind directions if it's good Mm mm-hmm what are your, yeah, what are your thoughts of, on that? Yeah, well, there's there's a lot of there's definitely a lot of uh, a lot of spots that are like that where you can make these little micro shifts and still utilize almost any wind. Yeah, um, I think it depends on the area. Like there's there's some that are straightforward, like you know the wind's blowing right towards where you're expecting that deer to come from. And there's, you know, it's more open ground in the front, you know, you're blowing right down the funnel or blowing right down the bedding point. Well, that's not one I would, I would try to risk right. too much. I'd be more, a little more, uh, I think I'd be a little more picky with getting that, that perfect win. But there, the, the Michigan buck that I shot this year, um, I, I killed him on a wind where I never typically would have hunted that area but I did it because I knew he was coming through and I was trying to capitalize on one of those short, he, he was one of those bucks that has shown, like he shows up in that late October time frame, and he's there for, he's doing kind of the similar thing like for four or five days. And then he picks up a doe and then he's really hard to get on. And he had showed me that all last year. And um, I knew that was kind of my window to get on that deer. So when he started showing up, I knew that I needed to put in time 
um, in that spot. You know, like yeah. we were talking about, yeah, one of those spots. Access on this spot is really good. Uh, when you got any wind out of the north, um, it's really good. But the day uh, I hunted it, I think I hunted it, was it one or two days? I hunted it one or two days. Um, the first time he didn't show, second time I saw him, um, but he didn't come through the, the little area where, you know, I was hunting. He was kind of off and doing something a little different, but he was moving and he was kind of moving in that direction. And this was an evening hunt. And then the next day it was more of a South wind. So what I did, what I had to do and what I was, was risky, but what I did was I accessed the same way. Um, and I actually crossed where this deer would have to travel through, you know, if he was going to come like down, basically I was in a funnel. Um, a funnel between like it's like a it's like a marsh area and then there's like this kind of skinny island that's kind of wet on one side and wet on the other but anyway i had a, a south wind so what i did is i i decided to hunt that same area but i i moved trees you know 30 40 yards to the other side of the travel route that i was hoping and expecting him to come down and what he had did several times a year prior and um the only risky part now I played the wind. Okay. But I had to cut through where this deer could potentially walk. So what I, what I did was I just made sure the exact spot where I cut through was a spot where I could shoot him. Yeah. You know, I didn't, I didn't cut through a spot where he'd be behind cover. You know, I, I purposely picked a spot where I was going to cross through that travel route where if he did pick up my ground scent, he was going to stop and I would already be at full draw and an arrow would be on the way. Yeah. Um, so, so that was the type of thing I had to think about, but I was able to get on that opposite side hunt with a completely opposite wind and it was perpendicular to the way he was traveling. And, um, he came, he came through and it got done and he, and he totally did smell where, you know, where I walked, he yeah. started slowing down started sniffing around, but I was already at full draw. Yeah. And you know, that's a great point because I do that all the time. I do it all the mm-hmm. time. If I, if I'm hunting a particular deer and like it's it's almost if if you can pull it off right you don't even need to stop them because they're relying yeah. on their own scent you know their own uh sense to stop themselves by putting their nose to the ground and smelling what cross there if you can right. do it right it's perfect you don't even you don't even need to make a noise you're already at full draw they stop for you and it's money like it, it's it's money but um you know, that doesn't work every single time, but I love those type of setups where you cross, you're basically crossing the deer, uh, the deer movement in a shooting lane. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I don't, I prefer not to do that. Um, but you know, it was, that was in a, a circumstance where like I was trying to capitalize on that, that really, uh, that really that prime time that that deer had shown vulnerability years prior. Um, and I knew he was in the area and I knew it was one of those funnels where it's like, if he's going to go from this area to this area, which that's the direction he's traveling, that's where he's, that's his routine right now. He's going to most likely come through this point. And it was a tight enough funnel where if he came through, I mean, he would have to be really a way on one side of, uh, that travel route for me not to get a shot it's a tight one but it's one of those ones where it's like i just got to put in time before he picks up a doe um and i really think i could get a crack at that deer and and that's how it worked and that's how a lot of them 
a lot of those deer around home that I'm able to get on is, is just finding their, their, their routines, their short little, uh, their short little patterns and trying to capitalize on those quickly. And, um, in, in those year to year patterns where they tend to gravitate and, and do similar things like in a certain, you know, few day time frame from year to year, I, I really, the more I look at that and the more I analyze my trail camera data and sightings, the more I see that. And I'm, it's been really eye opening the last six or seven years. I'm able to really get in on these deer during those short little windows, you know, year to year. I don't always get them, but man, it, it sure puts me in a really good position to get them. That's a fact, man. That is a fact. Yeah. Well, Andy, uh, man, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to, uh, it's not like we don't have anything better to do, right? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but but uh, I really appreciate you hopping on and uh, chatting with us today, man. Good luck the uh, this upcoming season. If you shoot a deer, man, bring it to over to my place and you can hang it. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Uh, one of those spots that I checked out, as you know, is a little, quite a bit closer to where you're at. So yeah. if, I, uh, if I get one, uh, maybe we can track a deer together that'd be pretty cool yeah amen amen well hey man you have a good one and thanks again all right dan thank you i always love chatting with that guy huge shout out to andy for taking time out of his day to hop on and chit chat with us huge shout out to all the partners of the nine finger chronicles podcast ozonics wasp lone wolf vortex the average conservationist uh Please go out and support the companies that support this podcast, man. I, I really appreciate it. Oh, and Ozonics, too. Uh, go out and support those guys because they support this podcast. I would appreciate that. Other than that, ladies and gentlemen, enjoy your quarantine. Try to take a big, deep breath in stressful times and uh, appreciate what you have around you. And uh, I think that'll make it just a little bit easier. Um, I know it's hard. Uh, especially if you work from home, I will tell you this: I don't start. I have to basically be a uh, daddy daycare all the way, all day long, and then I start working. Like this episode is the first episode of all of the episodes that I have to edit tonight, and uh, here it is nine o'clock, and I'm just getting finished with one of four. So uh, I'll I'll be out of here at about midnight tonight, and then be right up again at 5:30 when my youngest son gets up and uh, jumps on my testicles when he jumps in bed with us. So uh, life is precious, life is crazy. Take a deep breath, enjoy what you have, and uh, when you can, if you can, please. 2020, man, give back. <laughs>